You're listening to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 39. This week, we're looking at Kaido vs. Takenoko, along with the solo variant for Imperial Settlers, Times Square, and Fairy Tale. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everybody. Episode 39. This week, we are reviewing Takenoko and Takedo. We're going to help you choose which one is best if you only have one option. Inverses. <laughs> Inverse. Inverses. Inverses. Ah. Okay. In the verse segment where oh. two quality board games will be matched comparison to comparison, see which one is better, and we would recommend, and the other one will destroy mercifully. So it's in quotation mark versus unquotation mark. Yeah, and that then people too. will think we hate both of them because I got multiple comments about Cyclades and Kemet. People are like, you guys hate these. I no, 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 no. I really no. like Kemet. I said, I, I like Kemet. I know. Cyclades on the other hand. I think, I think the vitriol around Cyclades just bled through everything else. <laughs> I just spoil it. They, they see us now as entities of hate, pure abstract beings of rage. <laughs> Burn them. I got compliments on that, though. People were like, nobody does that. That was great. So keep burning, Daniel. Keep oh, right. Daniel took a torch to the game, and the fire just spread. <laughs> Loved watching those miniatures melt. Just, no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't really like this game. You know, in fact, I hate this game. You know, in fact, I hate you, and I hate everything, and... <laughs> Daniel, Daniel. <laughs> Have a Snickers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so that's later this episode. We're going to talk about Takenoka and Takedo, which... Hopefully, don't get us so riled up because they're very calm, relaxing games. Daniel, calm. <laughs> no more gift of Prometheus to attack them with, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, first things first, though, I want to talk about Extra Life. I'm going to give you a quick update on Extra Life. Extra Life is coming up in less than one month. So if you are not yet, uh, if you live in the Jersey, New York area, and have you not yet scheduled your October 26th plans, make sure you come join us at Gamers Gambit in Saddlebrook. Um, we have a growing list of game publishers who have donated games, and it's going to be an awesome event all around. Um, just a quick run through of everybody who's donated stuff. Just you know, thank you obviously to these publishers and uh just so you guys know like what we're gonna have there's part of the raffle and part of the auction um thus far aeg smirk and dagger cards against humanity brotherwise games and those are the uh boss monster guys uh, arcane wonders privateer press steve jackson games the sentinels of the multiverse guys uh soda pop miniatures and calliope games have all gotten back to me they're all supporting the event this year um so we're very excited, and uh, we'll have more information on the website as you're listening to this. So definitely check it out, and make sure you make it out to the event, October 26th. And there's still time to get involved. So if you have games that you'd like to donate for this charity to benefit children's hospitals, whether you're a publisher, designer, or just a really super good person that wants to help and save the world, we're still taking donations for the event, whether you shift them off to Anthony or you bring them that day of. We would love to have you there to support this great charity. Yeah, just drop me a quick message and let me know what you have so I can put it on the list and let people know what you know what the things are going to be. Obviously, this is all for charity. So it's, yeah, it's a cool time. You get to hang out with a bunch of people, meet us, uh, possibly win some games. But the main thing is we're raising money for children's charities, for children's hospitals in the area. Uh, that's the name of the game. That's the goal here. And we want to break 2500 this year, so help us do it. All right. So let's dive into the news now with Drew. It's the news with Drew. <laughs> From the tabletop. Shout it, Drew, shout it. <laughs> hey, we got some good PR about the, the gaming life, gaming industry. Um, first one, and I didn't put this in the news segment last week because it's not really news, but the Cones of Dunshire is becoming a thing now. It's like our favorite non-game is actually becoming a game. Mayfair got smart, jumped on, jumped on all over this. Um, for those who can't remember, uh, the, the TV show sitcom Parks and Recreation had a character, Ben Wyatt, who had a lot of free time in his hands, and he indulged his inner geek and created this weird, convoluted game called The Cones of Dunshire. It was premiered, so to speak, at Gen Con, 
And it got such a great response that Mayfair said, well, let's put it in a box and sell it. So <laughs> here's the cool part about this, though, is when they wrote the script for this, and this was um, Adam Scott, the guy who plays Ben White, it was his idea. When they wrote it, they went to Mayfair first and said, can you make something up so it seems semi-real? And then, so they had some kind of rules mapped out for this game, and they wanted it to be over the top because it's on TV. Yeah. And then at some point, they're like, we could finish the rules for this. <laughs> and now they're like, we could sell the rules for this. Uh, it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. And when it was at Gen Con, when you had an opportunity to play, I think it was $100 to play, but all that money went to charity. So that was a great thing, too. Yeah. At the time, yeah. Because Mayfair and Gen Con both matched all the donations on that, which is you, great. You guys are awesome. So is this a gimmick, or is it going to be a moneymaker, you think? I don't know. I mean, so they adapted Card Wars from Adventure Time into a, a card game, yeah. and it did not go over well. And part of the Cones of Dunshire joke was it was this absurdly complicated and honestly pretty terrible looking game. <laughs> and so it might end up being one of those things you have on your shelf as a joke, but then the yeah. moment you go to actually play, it's just, oh god, this, no, I it's don't want to do more this. of a novelty than anything. There right. are a lot of faux games, board games, that you'll see on TV um, that are best left in the realm of fiction. Um, I know Bob's Burgers last season did one too. They had a pretend board game. Yeah, they actually there was I can't remember the name of it, but one of their episodes was the B plot centered around this board game. And actually, on that that point too, uh, Big Bang Theory has a couple of games. There's obviously uh, Rock Paper's Rock Paper Scissors, scissors Lizard Spot, on. and there's also their card game that they play all the time. And they're actually talking about making that actually into a real game too. Like uh, something, yeah. something, Kaa. Yeah, yeah uh, Lord, Lord, Warlords of Kaa. Yeah, yeah. Like that. And it's Kaa. It may be best left to fiction. That would actually sound kind of fun. <laughs> to be fair to Mayfair, though, they've already said they're going to donate part of the proceeds to charity. Oh, cool. So yeah. it's also going to be a very expensive game. So we'll see. I mean, and it doesn't have to be uh, the greatest game ever. I mean, for some people, it will be a fun thing to talk about. And if they're going to donate proceeds to charity, right, their heart's in the right place. And. They're generally a pretty good company, so I've got some amount of faith in them. If anyone can make it work, they could. Yeah. Well, to to continue this bridging of pop culture with board gaming, um, The Onion, they have their uh, their AV club that does reviews. They also publish lists, like just like Cracked does, too, these funny lists. Um, the last couple of weeks, they came out with a bunch of lists about board games, one of which was nine board game adaptations of vintage video games, like Pac-Man, Tetris. It was a serious sort of serious list but then they came out with this list 11 baffling tv to board game adaptations and that just astounded me i didn't know that these games created they, they had a game based on hogan's heroes okay mm-hmm. the the prisoner of war which actually can make sense sure where you're yeah. trying to help people escape from yeah that makes sense but this was hogan's heroes for crying out loud a show that probably never should have gotten on the air i can't imagine it being on the air nowadays <laughs> Um, but All in the Family okay. was a party game, um, like Loaded Questions, where, um, have you ever played Loaded Questions? Are you yes. Familiar with that? Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. All in the Family is based on something similar to that. That makes sense. Um, Divorce Court. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, a, it was the psycho roll and move game. Um, you're trying to get through court, the court system. But the most astounding one of all that on this list was the Gomer Pyle game. Gomer okay. Pyle was a yeah. spinoff from Andy Griffith's show. Yeah. The, the board game was designed by none other than Sid Saxon. Wow. A legendary designer. That That's, is... This is what I'd read. Um, he didn't, it may not have designed the entire game himself. It just, the reference was the board game. Gomer Pyle, the board game. So, quite a pedigree. And uh, very baffling. But uh, AV Club is a lot of fun to read. Anyway, there was also, uh, the BBC did an interesting um, piece about a game that German soldiers played in the trenches in World War I. Basically, it was a, a variation of Parcheesi. And I, I just had a tough time wrapping myself, my head around, playing board games in the trenches. Um, it's tough enough thinking of board games that you'd play on the front lines. I know... Sure. That's part of what uh, soldiers do, like in Afghanistan at the base, but we're talking in the trenches. Um, fascinating. I, I will put a link in the show notes to that, the BBC. Um, the funny thing is, the game w- translated into English is Don't Get Annoyed With Me. 
<laughs> Which I got, I got to believe it would happen at, in the trenches. Well, yeah. you know, one of the Parcheesi clones is called Aggravation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so that's that's basically a spin off of Parcheesi. So, yeah, you get aggravated all the time and you send somebody back. You bump them, send them back. It sure. happens all the time in these games. Huh. Um, also, in the international front, um, Japan News had an article about cooperative board games in the classroom. It just seemed like such a Japanese thing, though, since they're a very cooperative society. Um, they they mentioned Pandemic, uh, a Japanese game called Onimichi, which I have to really look up, and then one that's translated, Say Goodbye to the Villains. Yes. I love some of these <laughs> translations. <laughs> I know that one's actually available yes. in the U.S. now. Yeah. Yeah. printed it. Say so. Goodbye to the... Yeah. So I, I'd love to track down a copy of that. What other games do you think, cooperative games, would be good in the classroom here in America? I mean, Japan, it's natural... I think there's always a hes- hesitancy here in America to bring games into the classroom, but cooperative games seem like a natural. And the, the first one that struck in my mind was Freedom, the Underground Railroad, because the designer of that, Brian Mayer, is an educator who's created games for the classroom, and I think he had that a little bit of that in mind when he created that. Yeah, and I think Academy's Games is making an effort to do that. So, So I think something like... Flashpoint, I think something like Flashpoint would be a great one. Flashpoint would be great. Cool pandemic you listed, yes, right? What is it? October October's fire safety month, isn't it? They always have uh, fire trucks show mm-hmm. up at the school in October. Perfect time to play Flashpoint. I mean so much of not just school, but but life in general is play, right? Practicing before, you know, an opportunity arises where you have to actually accomplish a task. Yeah. So, you know, when bringing games into education is not a new idea. But it's 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 trying to get a sense of what can the game teach. So yeah, like you said, as, as far as frames concerned, could teach a couple of things. But then there are other things that maybe are not so connective, as far as the lessons concerned. So it's a great idea because I think kids need to be more and more engaged directly than in years past, where there was this more of this authoritarian type of teaching method, where everyone just sat down in their desk and listened, and you know, yeah. Socratic method, just like. I'm going to throw information at you. Now it's more involving, it's interactive. Trying to develop their thinking abilities. And one thing games do, especially cooperative, is developing problem-solving And critical thinking abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Another possibility is always role-playing games. There's been a little bit of research on this, some of which didn't get published because people didn't like my paper, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) Okay, whoa, this is going a different route. (laughs) But role-playing games provide an opportunity where people negotiate ethical conundrums and serious challenges in a generally cooperative framework, depending on your game, right? So it'd have to be a D&D style game where the party cooperates, as opposed to an Apocalypse World style game where they go after each other sometimes. D&D in the classroom. It could pro- work, depending on the campaign. Right. Work. It, by encountering ethical issues, it can improve moral reasoning. It improves the ability to deal with other people in the group, right? You have to be able to negotiate values with other people. And those are arguably more important skills to learn in the classroom than most of what we teach. So be like, the beholder is traveling at you at 500 miles an hour. How long do, until you get frozen into stone? Do the math. Do the math. Do if you can cast a spell in two spells in one minute or three spells. Well, I think that's, that's the funny We're thing, going. too. Like Daniel's saying, so many of these games, and obviously you're listening to this podcast, you know there's so much heavy math and strategy and tactics and geography and history mm-hmm. and language and lore that... It's any game is just an immense educational lesson in itself. Yeah. But a cooperative adds that whole level oh, of absolutely. working together. That's what we have for uh, good PR this week. All right, so next up, our acquisition disorders for the week. Acquisition disorder corner. All right, so acquisition disorders. What is everybody looking at this week that they want to pick up? The game I want to get. Uh, Asmodee is bringing this out very soon, third quarter of 2014, which is now, so come on, where is it? Hyperborea. If you like Small World, and I know I do, um, you will be interested in this game. It has a lot of the uh, similar features. It's a variable player um, game, and you start around a map where uh, you're basically just trying to build a civilization on the map, and uh, establish your little turf territory. You're building out your skills and abilities. Um, de- you're developing a civilization. So that's that intrigued me. Um, I like the name. I like the description. Read it on Board Game Geek. Get it. 
Yeah, I've seen that one floating around a little bit. People talking about it, it looks cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, the game that I'm interested in, and I actually already picked this up, so it's cheating a little. But cheater. Yeah. Oh, but I haven't played it yet, so. Um, so we'll call this already acquired disorder. Exactly. Well, bought it for a different reason, but now that I've bought it, want to play it disorder. Okay. <laughs> and this one's called Tragedy Looper. This was oh. one of the games Z-Man was uh, touting around at uh, Gen Con. And so I was at the local game store in Manhattan where I work, and they had a copy on the shelf, and I didn't know a lot about it, but it's got this very... All the characters are anime-drawn. So I saw the cover, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's a little different. Um, this whole wave of Japanese games lately has me very intrigued, um, like the ones actually coming out of Japan. So I looked it up and sold out, sold out, Ooh. sold out, sold out. I'm like... Now I have to buy it. <laughs> the Tales one... of Acquisition Disorder. Dun, dun, dun. So I picked it up, and I knew a little bit about it from a couple reviews I'd seen and heard, but the majority of what I heard was, it's really hard to learn, but it's kind of worth it. So I actually started looking through the books, and it really seems it's like a cooperative board game with role-playing, role-playing elements. So it's multiple players versus a mastermind, and basically the players have to... They can go back in time and re-loop through things. So it's like Groundhog Day with a anime tragedy kind of dark twist. So everybody has hidden roles that they may not know at the beginning. There could be you know, a serial killer who might kill people off, and you have to try to figure it out who it is. Um, and really, the, to win the game against the Mastermind, you just have to not lose through one loop. That's it. Wow. So it's cooperative... But instead of the game being against you, there's a human being against you, which makes it probably a lot harder. Um, the books themselves are super long, so I have not read through them all the way yet, but we're talking like 100 pages-ish between the two. Uh, and there's obviously two sides of the game you have to learn because there's basically a DM and then the players. But it looks so cool. I'm excited <laughs> to get this to the table. It's it's almost might hit that like cooperative RPG mashup point that we've been talking about. That sounds very interesting. I mean, that's a hard hit point to hit and stay in comfortably, but it, it does sound like it might have a shot at that. That sounds very exciting. We'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. All right. I want to play. So I want to talk about a expansion for Small World. It's called A Spider's Web. And on this expansion, it's actually a player's expansion. So they designed these three new characters. First off, you'll have Ice Witches, which allows you to place a winter marker in one of your regions. And then when you leave the regions, it actually allows that region to be scored for for one less victory point. So this kind of adds a different dimension to the game just a little bit. There's also skags, which are these creatures that leave loot markers behind. So if, a, if someone tries to attack that region, they have to flip over the loot marker. If there's a skag in that region, the conquest fails completely and they have to back out of there and they lost that opportunity. But there could also be loot underneath it as well. There's another race, which is called Slingman, which is very similar to the Catapult, but you get to use the ability all the time. So instead of attacking an adjacent area, what you'll be able to do is attack an area that is beyond, one beyond your adjacent kind of control. And when you do so, you'll score an extra victory point. So that gives you something a little bit different there too. There's also two new special abilities, Copycat and Lava, but what's also fun you should know about, too, is recently Small World 2, the Kickstarter expansion, was the iPad app, but they also released a collector's edition. In that collector's edition, there was re-releases of previous expansions that kind of went out of print. So you also now will have the opportunity to pick up Small World Leaders and Small World the Necromancer Island, which were out of print for quite some time and were going very expensive on eBay. And the new races that come with the collector's edition, you could pick up in a cardboard format for your regular edition, which they're calling Royal Bonus. So there's a lot to pick up with Small World, which is a great game. And if you haven't picked it up yet, check it out. My acquisition disorder this week is a game called Run, Fight, or Die. <laughs> and it's a, uh, a zombie game designed by Richard Lanius, who's done the Arkham Horror games. Also written a number of Call of Cthulhu adventure packs, right? Um, and one of the reasons I really want to get this is I played Zombies with three exclamation points, and it was almost a game I really wanted it to be. And it seems to me that Run, Fight, or Die promises to be the game that it was supposed to be. 
Uh, and, and Richard has, you know, Richard Lanius has a lot of experience designing these sort of story-driven, engaging games, uh, like Arkham Horror, and, and like playing around with the Call of Cthulhu. So I'm hoping that it'll give that sense of narrative, that sense of urgency that I felt was lacking in zombies, and is in fact, I feel, is lacking in almost every zombie survival game. So uh, it, it looks pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I've seen this one floating around. I have zero interest in another zombie game, but oh, okay, yeah. you are my friend. I will play it with you, <laughs> and we'll see if that changes. <laughs> I have interest in a what, zombie that, game done well. That never really happens, does it? What? When you play a game that just eats your brain, then you never, you know, yeah. you become one of the horde, and then, <laughs> then, then you start craving zombie games, too. There you go. It happens. There are some games like that. Well, we've seen what happened with Zombicide, right? People we lost a that. lot of good friends. I would, also... <laughs> yeah, I would burn that game, personally. It's, a, it's not a very good game. You could no. burn it, but that doesn't kill the zombies. It would come back. Destroy the head. <laughs> come right. on, Drew, you know better than that. <laughs> Mummies use fire. Come on. <laughs> All right, so those are the acquisition disorders for this week. Next up, let's take a look at some of the games we've been playing lately. the table this week all right so at the table this week uh first thing first um i talked about this a little bit maybe two three months ago about playing some more solo games and throwing out my thoughts um so and actually i've had a couple people request since then that i do that because there are certain types of people who like to play games at home by themselves maybe late at night or when you don't want to watch tv anymore um, I'm one of those. There are not many of us, but <laughs> it does happen. But we reviewed Imperial Settlers three weeks ago, and it actually comes built in with a solo variant. And a lot of games do that, but this one's clearly designed for it because it comes with extra cards for the solo version. So I've played through that a couple times now, and it, it was um, it was actually really good. It was a lot of fun. So the major difference in the solo variant is the obviously the opponent. So you're going to do all your stuff the same but the opponent is going to have these attack cards that you flip over uh, throughout the game that'll have one little um, icon on them. And as they kind of fill up this row, it'll tell you what it attacks on your side. And the goal of the game is to get more faction buildings than they collect cards, than the game collects cards. And every round out of the five, the opponent's going to have two locations that you draw when you do the drafting. And... You can attack them, of course, like usual, to keep them from collecting them, but if you do not attack them, they add them to their collection pile. So then it becomes an issue of do you want to use two raised tokens to attack them and knock out their location, or do you want to use it on your own and have more resources? Um, so it's really like a race to build as much as you can. And then if you leave too many common factions or common buildings out, they can attack it with those special attack cards that come out. Uh, so it's pretty cool, and I think it's a really fun way to kind of learn what cards are available for your faction, because it takes 20, 30 minutes to play through um, really quick. Uh, I actually played, the first time I played, my son was helping me by like laying out the tokens, so it took like an hour and a half, but <laughs> he was using the people to carry over the stones and carry back the wood. <laughs> but, so that actually made it a little more fun even than like video. playing, we playing it video, solo, right? Yeah. I don't think my son has ever sat still in a chair for so long in his life. He was just like, what's happening? I'm doing it. <laughs> um, but so me and him beat the, beat the uh, machine in that one. But it's cool because you get to see what the different faction buildings do. You get a feel for how it plays much quicker, too. Um, so if you own the game and want to know how they all play, maybe to help other people teach, or if you want to give it out to other people so they can test it, it's kind of fun. As a solo game, as a solo variant, uh, I think it's one of the stronger ones that comes in a box. A lot of the times it's almost like an afterthought. Uh, I wouldn't recommend buying this only for the solo version because it's $50. So you better have other people to play with. If you're going to do that, buy a game like Friday, which is a lot. It's, it's a solo game. It's 20 bucks. It's designed as that. But it's, it's impressive what uh, Trevichek was able to do here, taking a game that was not solo and making it pretty nice and tight and fun and easy and something you can do while watching TV. I had fun. Hmm. Cool. Wow. Did you like it better than the full player? Did you feel... Had a difference, comparison there? No, I mean, it's... I don't know. It's like playing a, ga- a solitaire game of cards versus playing like, an actual card game with somebody, like, you know, Rummy or uh, Poker or something. It's 
not the same, but it's fulfilling. Like, when you beat the other side, you're like, okay, I see how I did that. And when you don't, you, you understand, like, okay, I needed to build this faster and do this. The cool part is just, like, I played the Romans in the Japanese, just doing this version. Um, and it was, I could see much faster how these factions work. Something that doesn't necessarily work as well in a, a group setting. And you don't have to worry about the other side having faction cards that you have to counter. You just build up a thing and see how it plays out. You think it gives you an advantage playing solo the next time you, you play with a group, you understand the game a lot better, the, the options that you have? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I When I get a new game that I know we're going to play, I'll play it solo as multiple players just to get the rules down not the solo version but the no but I'll play the full game solo but okay. like reading the rules is not enough at least for me um, but just doing that I'm like well this came up and this came up and then I have that in my head and then I see more of the cards like if we were to play it again and I played one of the three factions I've played now um, I would feel like I have an advantage because I know what's in that deck uh, yeah uh, what they can do yeah and so I don't know if that really helps you like if you're playing with new players at the game but if you want to make sure that you teach the game very well, in this case, by telling people exactly what cards to look for in their own decks, which I think in this game you really should if you want to have fun with your group, not for them not to be like, oh, I didn't realize that's how this deck played four rounds in. Uh, that'll really help. And it's, you know, I enjoyed it as a group. Um, probably a little bit more, honestly. Anytime you get to interact with other people, it's more fun than playing by yourself. But it was a fun solo game, too. It's not like... Like, co-op games, for example, can all be played solo. I don't have as much fun with those, because it just doesn't feel... It's designed to have a group together fighting against a common mm -hmm. enemy. This one is... It's like a solitaire card game. It's fun. All right, well, what's in my table this week is Fairy Tale. So, you've heard us talk about Seven Wonders. You heard us talk about Among the Stars. Well, the card drafting mechanic has played out in a lot of different games, but it's really most well-known in Fairy Tale. Now, Fairy Tale is a fairly simple game, and I talked about this earlier because it actually had a free app that you can download and play on iOS, and it's basically made up of four different races in this game. So you have the dragons, you have the fairies, the knights, and the demons, and they're heavily color-coded. So obviously the demons are black, the knights are yellow, the fairies are a pinkish red, and the dragons are green. Now, in this game, it's got that similar kind of drafting mechanic. Everyone gets a hand of cards. They pick a card to play, and they pass the hand. You'll play the card. Now, there are cards that will score you just general points. There's a card that, in each race, that will actually snowball off each other. So it won't score any points really on its own other than maybe just that one. But if you have multitude of that same card, you'll score a lot of points. So if you start with the small dragons, you want to keep building that. In addition to that, there are some cards that actually have like almost like a friendship feature where you collect these certain cards and there'll be a multiplier if you have the other cards. So that's a lot of fun. And then there, and this is really the kind of key part, there's these cards that have a lot of interaction which actually allows you to flip over other people's cards depending on like say the demon card what it lets you do so it might say flip over all the you know flip over fairy cards and the other players will have to choose a fairy card to flip down if they have one but on the good side there's cards that let you flip up one of those cards so while it's down it can't score any points but when you flip it up it, it does allow you to score points but the flip up ones are only worth one point so there's a bit of a trade-off with that the gameplay is very simple very easy there's some variations to the gameplay and some special cards that come out. Z-Man just re-released this game with a new skin. So the artwork, was, while it was always good to begin with, this kind of gives you an extra dimension to it. So Fairy Tale's a great game, and if you like Seven Wonders and Card Draft, you might want to check this out. Right. Game I've been playing and bringing to the table uh, a lot over the last few years is called Times Square. Uh, it's a game by designer Rainer Kinesia, very prolific it's a two-player game. It's a dual game, um, one on either end of the board, basically, and they're going head-to-head. -head. It's a dual game in that the board is just one long series of spaces from one end to the other, and you have uh, your players in the middle. You're trying to bring to one side or the other, and that's going to determine who wins. It all started—this is, this is more of a, of a mechanic thing— 
Kinesia repeats himself constantly. He started in 1993 with a game called On Guard, very simple version of this where you had two swordsmen and you're playing with cards, basically. And the cards tell you how many spaces forward you can go or you can even go backwards if you're, if you're being defensive. And the idea is you're trying to push the other guy off his end of the board. And that's all it is, playing cards to push the other guy. And then he repeated himself 11 years later with a game called Duel. And that's what these are, just duels, basically. Times Square is a little more complicated, though, because it's not you versus the other person. You have a bunch of neutral characters now populating this long rectangular board. And instead of pushing them to the other side, you're trying to pull them to your side. The theme is you own a nightclub in Times Square, and so does your opponent. And you're trying to get these characters to come on your side. Each of those little pieces on the board have different abilities. Um, some can uh, jump pretty far. Uh, another piece can entice other pieces toward him. So they give you different, uh, different opportunities to score. You're trying to entice certain characters into your club or at least entice the other characters long enough to score points to win. You're, you're trying to score a certain number of points or else get two main characters, and that's it. You're trying to draw them again by playing cards. The cards are all color-coded based on the character, which have different colors, and then you play them to try and bring that particular colored piece toward you. It's a simple, simple idea, but there's a, there's a back and forth constantly. There's no AP at all. You're just, you, you see an opportunity, you play cards, you draw more cards, the other person plays cards. It can go back and forth, but still games are going to last maybe 20 minutes at the most. Very fast. Very cool. Tool type game. Is there a version of this currently in print? Yeah, it's about 13 14 bucks. you can get nice. online. Awesome. Yeah, very cheap. It's probably the best of, of Kinesia's dueling games. You always have to say that when you're talking about Kinesia. It's the best of this mechanic that he's used in these eight games because he relicenses it and over and over again. It's not always for bad, but... I mean, if, it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? If, it, if it's working fine, what you do is you add occasionally new twists or incrementally improve on or build on top of it, and that way you get more and more interesting versions of similar mechanics. That's the thing. I don't think... I, I haven't seen any second editions of his stuff. It's just like he'll reimagine it and put a new version out. Maybe he's just a fan of themes. He just likes creating new themes. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I know Fantasy Flight's been pushing out a lot of uh, these $12, you know, square box card games lately that are yeah. just rethemes of his games. Huh. We yeah. played, uh, what was it, uh, Intrigue of Westeros? Oh, was yeah, one yeah. of those. There's another one coming out soon. I can't remember if it's the Samurai one or the Star Wars one. But anyways, he's got a lot of these very simple old card games, and he's just like, that's out of print now. Who wants the mechanic for it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of them are worth it, and some of them are you know, some are stronger than others. But I guess when you have that big of a... Well, some are really easy backlog. to duplicate. Um, the first time I met this mechanic, it was online. It was a game called Sumo. It was basically a ripoff of Kinesia's design, and it's just playing tiles or playing cards to try and bump the other guy off his yeah. side of the board. Real simple. It's kind of cool. I like the idea. Yeah. So that's all the uh, at-the-table segments for this week. Uh, next up, we're going to jump into our feature review, our special versus segment this month. That's Takenoko versus Takedo. Dun-dun! And now for the feature review. In this week's versus, instead of looking at which game will reign supreme, we're going to take a look at two games by Anton Bauza and see which of these two games, Tokaido or Takanoko, reigns serene. Let us first begin with Tokaido. In Tokaido, you will be a traveler leaving from Edo, going across a number of different unique and interesting locations trying to reach the end of your journey at Kyoto. Now, like any good journey, it's not about the destination, but about all the places and all of the sights, the foods, and the people that you'll meet along the way. Now, in this game, you'll be using a traveler in a very simple worker placement mechanic where you'll be placed on different spots across this path. One of the spots is called the market. The market will allow you to pick up different items, and based upon a set collection mechanic, you will score a number of different victory points 
by completing that whole set. Now as you'll be spending money, you'll need to pick up some more. So you can always stop by the farm and pick up additional gold. Also, it's not all about picking up items and picking up money. It's also about loving the beautiful Pamaranas that are in this game. So there are three different location spots where you can take in the sights, pick up a card, pick up some victory points, and build a beautiful Pamarana from these four or five different cards. Now after you've seen the sights, you might want to visit the hot springs. That'll score you some additional victory points, as well as the temple, which when you leave a donation, scores you some victory points. And at the end of the game, the person who has the most coins at the temple will score the most victory points. And then those who have a little bit less will score a little bit less additional victory points, but still a great place to visit. You'll also be having encounters that will score you additional victory points, gold, and panoramic photos. And then finally, the inn, which will be able to take in all of the cuisines of Japan. Now let's mention here that you're not just going as a normal little meeple, but you're going as a unique character with a unique special ability that tends to activate depending on where you land on the map or what items you buy. Now with all the great things to pick up, you might feel the urge to jump ahead on the journey so you can complete your collections and score those additional victory points at the end of the game. But be careful, because in Tokaido, the person at the back, the last traveler from behind, gets to move first. So if you jump ahead a large number of spaces, everyone behind you can kind of land on all of those spaces leading up to you, scoring additional victory points. So you really have to balance when is it the, the appropriate time to jump ahead and then when do you want to take your time. Tokaido is a very simple game, very serene, a light kind of entry level gateway game for more, most players. And that is Tokaido. From the famous Tokaido Road, we now move to the world-famous gardens of Japan in Takanoko. In Takanoko, you will be laying out and cultivating beautiful bamboo over these multi-colored plots, irrigating them, bringing improvements to those lands, having the gardeners fertilize those lands, and then having the Chinese emperor's wondrous gift, the panda, eat those bamboo to help you score victory points in the form of objectives. Now these objectives come in a, a number of different ways. As I mentioned, if the panda eats a certain number of bamboo in the certain colors, you'll score victory points for that. If bamboo is grown at a certain height and in a certain number, you will score victory points for that. And then finally, if your plots of land are laid out in such a way and are irrigated, you will score victory points for that. The first player to reach the objective goal at the end of the game will also score an additional Emperor card that will give you two additional victory points. Now, Takanoko, which is slightly different than Tokaido, is a very serene game and a beautiful game with components that are outstanding. This game is a welcome addition to the entry-level gamer market. You can play with families or gamers alike. And that is Takanoko. Now let's join the gentlemen and see what they thought of Tokaido and Takanoko. Hopefully Anton Bowser's love letters to Japan will finally remove him from the villainous characterizations that he has in Japanese Nintendo video games. Alright, so Takaido, Takanoko. Uh, I just played Takanoko for the first time last week, but I played Takaido like a dozen times before that. I was pleasantly surprised that they do feel the same. Like it's this very whimsical, fun, very non-combative feel of just kind of just doing your thing. I could hear soft Japanese music in the background whenever I play this. It just yeah. <laughs> it does put you in that mood. Yeah, when I learned to play Takaido, uh, our buddy Earl at the store, he would always play something on Pandora, mm -hmm. like in the background. That's where I heard it. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, like a lute or a harp, just something soft. and yeah, the, the Something whole... very Japanese, obviously. Yeah, very much so. Um, so, like in both cases, I mean, I guess the easiest way to talk about them is just individually and then compare them. 
in the case of Takedo, it's a funny game because everybody talks about it how it's it's not like it's not your typical board game. It's a game though, and there's a lot of different ways to get victory points, and there are strategies you can use. But it's so relaxed and easy, and just there's no pressure, and there's not a lot you can do to hurt other people. But you do interact because where you go matters. Um, it's one of the few games where you can say it's not a super strict, heavy strategy game, but it's still fun. Because most of the time, if you start with that, people are like, oh, <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is the theme appeals to me a ton, too. Just the idea of the road trip. I love road trips. And it's just, you win the game by having the most rewarding experience possible as you go on your road trip. And that's such a nice way to win a game. It's just... I had a, you know, I had a good day, but they had a great day, so I guess they won. Like, <laughs> that's nice. I like that. Yeah, it's a very different game than most strategy and tactic games because while it's not cooperative, it's trying to play to an objective that's just unintentionally helping everybody else. So that's kind of a really different take on board games that you are building and the building is kind of helping everybody in a way. And... You know, it's very much that kind of, you know, very zen in that kind of way. Like, we all grow together. We all walk together. And we all score victory points together in that kind of way. (laughs) Takedo does a a much better job. It's a much more natural thematic game. It's it's all part and parcel. Takenoko, though, has a theme that's a little more tenuous. It doesn't have a a good grip. Yes, it has cute pandas and lots of bamboo, but it's, it's basically... Um, you know, strategy game with choices you have to make at heart. Do you do you move the gardener? Do you move the panda? Do you draw a tile? Sure. Um, the theme is just, I think it's there for families and children. Uh, it's more definitely more appealing to families. Yeah, the objective cards that you get in the beginning or you get to pick as an action throughout the game allows you to kind of build towards a specific strategy where Takedo is more along the lines of like, I think I'm going to go this way and let's see if mm, it works out yeah. for me and if I get the most of something that'll be helpful. Other than getting your character for Takedo, which really kind of at least a little bit kind of tweaks the way you can play the game. So you might get a character that benefits over counters or benefits from going to an end. Takenoko is more along the lines of like, I have these objectives and that's really what I want to shoot for. Yeah. Yeah, they are different in that way. Um, Takedo is so relaxed and laid back, and there's no randomness to it either, so it's easier to teach, and there's less likely to be frustration. A little bit of randomness in the cards that you're drawing. Yeah, it's true. But but it's not as distressing, not as frustrating as the randomness. No, and you often have choices, too. You'll draw multiple cards and have choices. Unless you're like, if you're the last one to the end, your choices are limited. But you also have the choice of not being the last one to the end, so (laughs) it's it's all relative. Takenoko is a little more random. Not excessively but just because you're drawing a lot of cards there's a die um you can build a strategy obviously and mm-hmm. very few times was there's something i wanted to do that i couldn't like i want to move the gardener over here most of the time you can it's not really an issue and you can always take the same actions the die doesn't really affect the actions you can take it just affects what extra effect you get and those all help you so they don't hurt you in any way um so that's nice so there's no like oh, crud, I just wasted a whole turn because I can't do this thing because you just did this other thing. Like you see in some other strategy games, you always get to do what you want, and then it comes down to can you draw the right cards to get the points you need. And that can be a little frustrating, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to make a nine-year-old flip a table either. But, no, but for adults, that's the, that's the whole end game is, okay, let's draw more cards, let's draw more cards, and you just want to score instant points because by the end... All the tiles are built up, and you can just whip a card out and bang, score points right away. Sure, if it matches with your destination. Yeah, so yeah, there is a, like I said, an unintentional cooperative element to it. So you might be building pink bamboo, and I actually have a pink bamboo card that'll score me points if it just gets one more higher. So it's very hard to kind of do things on your own because the landscape is constantly changing. Yeah. Yep. And there is a way to play that, right? Or is that the way you're supposed to play it where you... If you draw a card and it's already been done, you have to draw another card. That's the variation to the game. That's the more strategic. So if you draw a card and you see that that objective is complete and you could just throw it down and play it, they say put that in the bottom of the deck and play something else. That would be the adults-only version. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just so you don't get into that draw fest that exactly. we got into at the end. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I felt that for, for playing through Takenoka, the way I was able to maximize my points very efficiently is I just got as many possible 
uh, cards in my hand as I could at once, right? All the, all the uh, there's a hand limit. There's isn't a there? hand limit. Uh, how many is it? It's five, five, right? Five. Yeah. So I, I was sitting at five like the entire game, right? I grew up to five immediately, and then I just sort of every time I would spend one or two, I would start spending more actions to draw more because I think that's a hugely valuable part or thing to do in this game, right? Because it gives you more paths to success, and it give you know gives you more ways to manipulate the board or to that from where that. More ways that the board could fall out that'd be beneficial to you. But to be fair, I went the opposite way and I built, and I only yeah. you only won by one point. Yes. So it played both ways pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, and you can kind of tell the difference between the two games just on how we're talking about them. We're talking about like the strategic elements of Takenoko and how you draw the cards and everything. Takedo is it's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but that's not a bad thing. And this is the thing I always try to tell people, like, because if you describe Takedo, it sounds like a really light game that serious gamers would avoid it's subtle but it's so much it's just relaxing yeah, yeah daniel had like the perfect description when we played it like just in terms of when you would play it you wouldn't it wouldn't be the yeah, focus of the night but it'd be it'd be a warm-up game or a cool-down game probably a warm-up would be better uh it, it's a game that's just a nice smooth transition into gaming it, it kind of feels like a, when you go to a water park you start on the lazy river you know you just ah, i'm just gonna strike out for a minute Get accustomed, comfortable in the weather, get used to the water, have a good time, and then you go on the slides and all the more intense things. But the Lazy River is pretty darn fun in its own right. Well, there are some gamers who do not want conflict. They don't want to be frustrated. They don't want dumping on your other, your fellow man. And Takedo is the perfect game for that. Now, Takedo, you can jump ahead. You You can walk ahead a little bit faster to get to some spots that might at least slightly lessen someone's chances for victory. But by doing so, you've now skipped a lot of opportunities yeah. to visit, to score points, to pick up new items, to go to the, the bathhouses, a lot of different things. So you got to have to kind of gauge if it's really worth doing that. It's like, yeah, it's just like any journey. You can take your time and stroll and you get to see more things. You get to do more things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the, cool, the one thing about Takaido I'll say is it really comes down to your money. Um, if you run out of money, you really can't do very much. And then it's limited when you can get it based on the farm locations. Sure. And you have to hope yeah. maybe you draw a card from one of the other locations. Um, the expansion changes this a little where you have like an opportunity to gamble. Ooh. <laughs> you can roll a die and like multiply your money, but then you could lose it also, which is a kind of a cool element that some people use to their own detriment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very uh, self-destructive. But you do end up playing the whole game around the kind of money you need to get at least if you want to buy, um, stop it, you know, pick things up in the village repeatedly or build those sets. You need some way to get cash. And yeah. each player card that you start with has a different amount of cash. Some have like up to nine, I think. And a couple have like three or four. Because their powers, are, they're more powerful, but it does change how you play a little at least. I think that element is necessary because that's what keeps the game moving. Otherwise, everybody would be meandering. So there has to be some urgency to your yeah. play in Takedo. Yeah. Someone will always jump ahead to the farm earlier than you would expect to. It's like a fantasy football draft. And I'm using this because I just did one of these. <laughs> where like, okay, I really want that guy, but he's kind of like a round sevender, and it's like round four, and someone grabs him anyways. You're like, come on! Because they needed that a lot, and yeah. it's just what happens. So you could be on the fourth space, and the farm is the eighth space, and someone's like, meh, I need the money. And Takedo is a set collection game, so you want to be able to complete the sets to score the additional victory points at the end yeah. of the game. So complete the panorama, score the victory points, go to the baths more than anybody else, score victory points, get the most expensive food, score victory points. So there's a lot of ways in which you do feel kind of pressured into jumping ahead at least a little bit to pick up those things. Yeah, everything you do scores points in uh, Takedo, but it grows exponentially. So you want to start something and then finish it so you get the bonus that comes Sure. Out. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about Takata, though, for me, the really nice thing is even, you know, there's all these, there are strategies you can employ. And that's really, even if I lost, though, it would feel kind of fun because sure. the whole story being told is, well, you went down the street and then you stopped at the bathhouse and then you met this really cool guy who told you about this, you know, especially nice overlook where you could get a really good panoramic view. And that gave you an extra blue card, right? And, you know, you just have this long story about you having essentially a nice holiday. And that, I like that. I don't know. There's something about that element of the story where I'd just be so satisfied with pretty much anything that happens to me. Yeah. And with Tokaido, 
at the end of the game, you do have, you know, your vacation photos pretty much in front of you. You have yeah. all the items that you collected. You have all the pictures you took. You have all the encounters with the people you met. So you can kind of look at it and go, wow, I actually had a decent trip there. Yeah. And everybody's going to score points. I've not played a game uh, of Takedo where everybody wasn't really in the mix by the end of the game. So you're never going to fall very far behind. Well, like Anthony said, it, it, it's thematic, but you, you definitely want to keep an eye on your money. Yeah, if you run out of money, you could fall behind on points a lot. So there's n- never been any bad feelings about um, Takedo, but I've been frustrated by Takenoko. Um, Don't let the panda hear that. The randomness. He's going to come for you. Yeah, it's just such a random element. Uh, the cards, the goals, the tiles. Um, if you don't get the right thing, you're just going <clears> to... <throat> and then you have to wait till it comes your turn to come around before you can do anything about it. It fr- I was frustrated at the game. Sure. Yeah. It was uh, enjoyable overall. I mean, it was a fun game. It's just almost the exact same thing Drew said. Like The, the randomness of it in so many different factors can be a little it's not roll and move but it, you end up feeling a little like that at times like okay I'm going to do this and then up the panda ate that bamboo yeah. so the next time I can't do that and up that panda ate the bamboo again so now I got to rebuild it again um, there's enough strategy to keep it from being that frustrating and I could see this being a lot of fun for kids yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For me, I felt like with Takenoko, I mean, even winning, right? I didn't feel like I did much. I didn't feel like I was accomplishing things. I mean, I know I was, you know, getting the board in a certain state or what have you. But uh, the narrative of it just wasn't very engaging to me. I was like, I am watching a panda eat bamboo. I am shoving that bam- panda's face into that bamboo so he'll eat more of that one bamboo. And it just, I didn't feel like I was actively accomplishing things. Which, if I compare that to Takedo, where I took my first step on the road, and I'm like, ooh, stores! Let's buy some nice clothes! And then, oh, look at the beautiful view! Like, yeah, you're the, not waiting for something to happen. There's always something happening. It's always going to score you a few points. There's always a feeling of accomplishment. And right. here in, in Takenoko, it's this feeling of waiting, of expectation, of anxiety, and of disappointment too many times. Well, the elements, I mean, you're looking at a a Japanese garden, which are just known worldwide for their beauty. And when you do look at the board, to have these different plot color elements on the board, having the different bamboo stalks, it is a very unique looking board. I don't think there's anything like that out there. And in that kind of one with nature type of situation, you do have to let things grow before you can kind of reap the rewards and people who travel through kind of alter the river and things change no, but like point, that. Point of the sco- part of the scoring is tile laying. Because you know you score points for patterns between the green sure. and the pink and the yellow if you match a certain pattern. So those cards, that there's how many different decks of colored cards? Four? Three decks. Three decks. And you get points for each of them. Yeah, one of them is just for the, how the tiles come out. So you, it all is random. It's a double random game. That's well, it's, what it is. It's not- the randomness in the cards you draw and the randomness in the tiles you draw. And you can be in trouble both ways if you get a bad combination. You get all pink cards and only yellow tiles come up for you. You know, it's... Sure. But that's most objectives. You get an objective and you try to re- meet the objective. Like Daniel was doing it the opposite way, which was just picking up objectives and hoping that they were matching. If they did, that was great. If they didn't, he, his hand was full. I was trying to build towards the objectives. So, yes, I had like an, a pink... A pink objective where you have three tiles in a certain shape and I kept looking for the pink and then when I was able to yeah. place it kind of be able to score with that but yeah it can be frustrating if you have objectives like that are hard to kind of perform because the elements aren't out there yet all right so time to give them a rating I guess um it's not so much a versus in this case I know in like Kemet versus Cyclades it was like that's a conversation everybody had all the time it is still a versus but these games are so relaxed and not combative that it feels you know it's not like they're butting heads they're the yin yang to each other would you say yeah Ah, there you go see see what i did there (laughs) but it is the same designer it is the same um kind of background almost not the artwork's a little different but it has the same kind of far east theme yeah and it looks they both look really good and they're both very heavily uh based on art and components um they give you the same feel so it's fair to compare the two in this case um you know if i'm gonna have two games sitting at two different tables, as Drew likes to say, and I have to come in and pick which one I want to play, I'm probably going to go with Takedo, depending on the situation. If 
if somebody says that's the only game I get to play that day, I might lean towards Takenoko just because it's a little heavier and I get to think a little more. Um, but in terms of like which one I'd rather own, which one I'd rather play in most situations, Takedo is just, to me, is... Uh, I like the feeling it gives me more as a game. And it, I don't think I've ever been frustrated playing Takedo. And I could see Takenoko being frustrating in some cases, which is not always a bad thing. Most games frustrate me occasionally. <laughs> if they don't, then they're not a very good game. Because yeah. there needs to be that moment where you're up against the game or up against the players and you barely come out of it. Um, but for me, Takedo's a buy. Like, that's a game that, you know, if you don't own a game like this that's relaxed and good and family friendly and a good opening game, you should buy this game. It's great. Takenoko's a a play, maybe a soft play for me. I don't think I'd buy it necessarily unless my kids are obsessed with pandas at some point. But like for me and my adult friends, I don't see myself picking this up. Um, but it's something I would play if it was there, Dakota wasn't an option, or if we wanted to play something heavier. Um, so overall, uh, I think both are solid games. And I'm really excited for Bowser's next uh, Japan-themed game, Samurai Spirit, which has... Again, awesome artwork. Again, Japanese theme. And a, a new one for this one, kind of based around Seven Samurai, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, that's, so that's psyched about exciting, that. Yeah. And it's a co-op, so that'll cool. be cool. Of the two games, Takenoko and Takedo, if you have a child 12 and under, say, play Takenoko. They're going to love it. It's a great game with great uh, components. Avoid Takedo at all costs. If you don't have a child 12 and under, flip it around. Avoid Takenoko. Play Takedo. And uh, it would be a buy for me. And I'll give you an example. When I was visiting in Iceland, um, I met up with a game group that I met through Board Game Geek. Um, we played at someone's home, and he showed me his 200-game collection and, you know, said, what game do you want to play? All, we have all these games. And I was in a home with five people that I didn't know anything about, and I chose Takedo out of his whole collection. It's a great game for strangers to come together, to have a pleasant experience together. You, great for interaction. Even though in gameplay doesn't have a lot of interaction, you're all talking. You're all mingling. It's a great socializing game. So uh, I think it's a game to bring out with strangers, with friends. Definitely buy for me, Takedo. Uh, yeah, to, I hate to be the echo, but Takedo is definitely a buy for me. Uh, it's very rare in my gaming experience that I played a game that was so simple yet gave me such a feeling of not necessarily accomplishment but worthwhileness right I was just like oh this is so nice look at all these things I'm doing and even if I lost I don't think I'd be even the slightest bit upset honestly because it just felt fun the entire time and a game that can feel fun whether or not you're winning or losing that is a hallmark of a good game Takenoko even winning felt kind of like I wasn't doing things, right? I know I'm technically, you know, I know conceptually that I'm doing things, but I didn't get this feeling of accomplishment or fulfillment. And so for Takenoko, I might actually just go straight to Dodge, right? If there's something good at a table, I'll play that before I'll play Takenoko. And I'd buy Takedo, so I'd play that first. There's so much to talk about with these games. Obviously, the same designer has brought together two really interesting different types of games as far as just the gaming hobby in general. We should mention, and I know this was touched on uh, uh, briefly, the artwork is outstanding. Um, yeah. Takedo really does invoke that travels across Japan. The artwork is serene. The the rule book is serene. The box artwork is serene. So when you look at it, it's this beautiful white box with these really nice, simplistic kind of artistic designs. The graphic design is nicely organized. You really do feel like enveloped by the game. And it does play that simply and easy that you can just set it down and go, person who's last gets to go first. Which of the, you know, which spot would you like to take? It doesn't, you know, there's really nothing beyond that. And then once you take that spot, let's see what happens. You get this, you get that, you get to do these things. Now, there isn't a lot of strategy to that because you're just moving to spots on the board and the spots are all laid out. Now, in, Ta in Takenoko, it's different because there is more of a strategy, there is more frustration as the panda's going around and eating your bamboo, which totally conflicts with your objective, which you were trying to grow that bamboo, and that damn panda keeps eating it. 
oh, why? Why do you keep doing that? And actually in the game itself, you can see the gardener is just exasperated because he keeps trying to fertilize to grow the bamboo and the panda comes by and eats the bamboo and you're like, come on, guys, stop. Come on, really? So as Drew was saying, the Takonoko has more of a strategy, more of a tactic, more of a game type of game to it. Still has beautiful art, has the little little miniature for the gardener, a little miniature for the panda and the bamboo. It's hard to quibble about those types of things. But I guess if I had to sit down and play one of the games, it probably would be Takedo. Just because it so does invoke that theme of just taking a leisurely journey and enjoying the vacation that you're having and trying out new things. That's really beautiful in that way. So either game, as far as that's concerned, would, would be a, a beautiful kind of experience, but it would be Takaido for me. Just to clarify something you said, uh, I mentioned that there's more of a game to Takanoko. That doesn't mean it's a great game. No, it's um, what, what makes Takaido such a brilliant game is the beautiful blending of mechanic and theme. It's perfect. This is, this is an example of a game that really does incorporate theme as more than paste it on. You're exactly right. It, it's, it, it brings it alive to you, right? That's what makes this narrative feel so fulfilling, is it's, it's the mechanic captures exactly what that's like. Mm-hmm. Now, I own both these games. I'm really glad to have them because, for me, I can play either one and be happy with them. You should also know that there's collector's editions for both games, Takanoko has a, I think it's a 300 and some odd dollar huge wooden box with solid tiles and about a four inch tall panda and gardener. So that's out there. And Takaido recently wrapped up a Kickstarter and that's going to have a nice big fancy version to that as well. So these games are doing well and uh, we'll have all the nice fancy components. But honestly, pick up the regular games because they the components and the artwork are just beautiful on its own and you don't necessarily need to have the fancy version of these games. All right, so unanimous review. Takedo, definitely a must-buy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm already interested in the Takedo Special Edition. Though. Yeah, it's got miniatures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Much, I almost backed how it. How much is it? I, it's not it's in over. retail yet. It's still Kickstarted, right? I backed it. It's still, yeah. Is it still in Kickstarter? Or nope, Kickstarter? not over. Sounds it was like, like March. Gone. Oh, that was well, a while ago. I missed it. It'll, be, it'll, it'll hit the shelves. They had kind of a messy Kickstarter, so I backed it up at the last minute, but he, uh, he backed it in. They, have a, they had a very messy Kickstarter, and I'm still not confident about it, to be honest with you. Oh, well, once you get yours, I'll take a look at it and decide if I want to buy one of mine. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll yeah. bring it back up to the table. Fun, yeah. Fun Forge. All right, so that's the our full review of Takedo and Takenoko. Uh If you have a different opinion, of course, definitely make sure to let us know which game you prefer and why, and we'll talk about it in the next podcast. All right, so one last thing before we wrap up this week. We had uh, another question come in from uh, Twitter, from Craig, and he asked, uh, he's been looking at Five Tribes, which should be out by now. Um, I think it came out mid to around the 17th or so of September, so if you got your copy, awesome. We do not have ours as we're recording this, but we will definitely have it and play it very soon. He asked about Istanbul and Five Tribes and what kind of similarities there might be between these two games. Um, Istanbul, obviously, the Kennerspiel award winner this year um, from the Spiel des Jahres committee, and then Five Tribes, the first like real heavy gamers game from Days of Wonder, both really hot this year. Um, so just wondering if anybody any thoughts on that in terms of two games it seemed like they have some similarities one definite similarity I have not played either of them so <laughs> thank you Dan there's a similarity there right? well the similarity with Istanbul is that it looks just like Jaipur for some strange reason it must have the same artist but I've not played Istanbul either now with both of these games what they do have in common is how meeples are used here so in Istanbul as you travel through the different markets you're leaving your kind of workers behind to be able to do special actions and then at some point picking them up on the way back. Five Tribes, the meeples are already out there on the board surrounding these different areas. So the same kind of setup, you have these kind of square tiles and for both games and you have meeples that will be on all of these for both games. With Five Tribes, what you're trying to do is pick up the meeples from those spots in such a way that when you pick up the last meeple of that color, you'll be able to activate that location. But you want to be careful not to leave an opening for somebody else. So it's all about 
meeple placement in both these games where do you place them where do you pick them up and what's the right timing depending on when the placement happens because you might place in such a way that it benefits the other player later on so a little bit of AP there. Well, the, Istanbul is more of a route building game where you have to plot out where your your main character is going to go, how he travels around the board, because that's when the assistants are put down and picked back up. Yes. Um, Five Tribes isn't so dependent on that. It's more uh, of a timing matter. Yeah, but when you pick up the meeples compared to when you're placing down the meeples. So it's all about meeple management. Right. Right, you I don't have to know, build. I'm, I'm a meeple manager, but so. in, in Istanbul, <laughs> in Istanbul, you have to build a route to do it. Sure. I don't think you need to do that in Five Tribes. No, but where you're picking up, where the meeples are placed or picked up, is really the crux of the game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, at this point, I think Istanbul is very hard to find uh, after it won the award, and then Five Tribes not quite out yet. But once we'll, we get a chance to play both of them, we'll definitely touch back again about like major pros and cons of either. If you only want to buy one, maybe it'll be our next. Versus feature. Versus. I'm sure the designers want to send them to us right now. Like, right, right now. now. Right now. Now. And now. Now? <laughs> now? Please now? <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's everything for this week. Uh, as always, make sure you connect with us. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter, at BGA Podcast. We are on Board Game Geek. Check out our guild there. Uh, go to BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and you can find links to all those various places, as well as our email addresses and recent show notes and blog posts from Drew. Tons of great information on the blog, so you can keep up with us and connect. Um, tell us which of your f- games is a favorite in terms of Takedo or Takenoko. And then if you've played anything recently that you'd like us to create a versus feature for. Uh, yeah. That is where you should do it. So definitely hit those websites up and let us know. But that is everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And until next time, we'll save a place for you as we travel the road of Takeda. Nice. I want to do that. <laughs> travel of Takeda? Yeah, it's probably like a highway. <laughs> <laughs> I think I kept it.